Well, hey, Mike. Hi. What happened there? I was. We were talking like completely normal, and then all of a sudden, I went into like. It was my intro voice. That's how I talk when we're doing the podcast. That's your podcast voice. Well, hey, Mike. It's another wacky episode of. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so this is after that to a good start. Yeah. So what's new? Um, not much. I was in D.C. for a few days. That was nice. I always like to walk by the uh, the National Association of Broadcasters building. Were you lobbying? No. For Virgin Media. Yes, actually. Yeah, we uh, we're a defense contractor now. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Is, did I so only somewhat in jest like they probably have a bunch of tv stations right yeah i mean they're like the largest magazine publisher on the face of the earth yeah i mean we have some customers in in dc government i think but it's just always a little unclear what they do and i don't know Hmm. but also we don't have a separate government pricing policy that's true. We should figure out a way to do that. I wish there was some sort of compliance we needed. Oh, God. Don't say that. Well, but then we could sell the, uh, you know, Section 403 compliant version of Skillbox uh, for... You have lived your life in blissful ignorance of the actual compliance that we have done in the past. No, I, I'm just saying the problem is with, in, in that case, is that you weren't gouging enough. Yeah, I know. That's, that is the problem. So you should be able to bake in all the emails you get as spam as some sort of like charge. Yeah. That's what I'm saying you do. Yeah. Next time. Okay. Anyways, I like DC a lot. It's a good city. And, uh, yeah. That's good. Cause your tax dollars pay for all those fancy bistros. It's not really, but well, they pay for like the people, the, like go work there and then they buy stuff at the bistros it's trickle down economics true that is true that is why i was able to have a uh, really good bowl of ramen well they probably do like fundraisers in there too in the ramen shop <laughs> you know like those i'd go to that fundraiser like, those like lobbyist like meet and greet dinners <laughs> Yeah. They don't have to always do them at a steak place, do they? Yeah, well, yeah, if you're lobbying, if you're the hipster lobby and you're... <laughs> well, that's what we were there for, right? Yeah. That's often what I get accused of. So, um, speaking of nothing, uh, there were two interesting censor stories this week that I thought we'd jump in with. Which one do you like more? I like them both more. Um Let's do the let's do the low light one because it's a little less weird. Yeah. Um. So this is a new sensor. There was just a minor press release out from Canon about it um, that does super low light sensitivity. So it's what like uh, multiple times light capture capability of any of the sensors they had before. Um, so how are they doing this? They're doing really this by big basically, pixels. <laughs> right? 
So did they actually do that? Here's what I didn't see because this was sort of a weak article. Um, Are they actually doing larger pixels or are they just binning a bunch of pixels together? The way I read the article is that it's actually larger pixels, that the pixels are 19 microns square each, which is almost eight okay. times larger than this, the pixels on the sensors in like a Canon 1D. Um, and the result so of they this... they are bigger. Yeah, so the result is that every pixel, every photosite gets hit with more photons. Um, and so the... 64 times as many. Right, and so the resulting pixel in your image is able to be, you know, much lower light. And so they're down to 0.03 lux of illumination. There's a demo video we'll link. Um, make sure you watch through the whole thing because it's the last shot that really blows your mind. So am I doing this right? So 8 times 8 is 64 times as much surface area. Well, no, Which I think, to me... I think 8 times the surface area, they're saying that in... They're doing that in area already? Yeah. Oh, that's less than pressure. Oh, yeah. Okay. They say surface area in the article. Okay, fine. So then it's just... Then it's just two to the third, so three stops more. Right? Mm, I don't know. Not. Sh- I don't know how to do that math. I think I did that right. Um, but nonetheless, it I mean, it, yeah, it's it's crazy. The video is really neat. Yeah, it was really impressive. They have a shot that they illuminated solely with moonlight that looks like daylight. Um, yeah, they have it has color in it and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it was it's sort of eerie. Um, and so, obviously, this is just a test camera right now, a prototype, um, and this exact technology probably won't make it into a final product. But hopefully, this means you know, it's just it it's cool to see and it's um another example of different ways that companies are instead of just continuing to push pixel density pushing um better capabilities into their sensors sort of in the same way that sony's doing the um the sensor that we talked about in the past with uh different with uh, essentially neutral density applied to photosites to increase the dynamic range that way and right so this one is 640 by 360, so it's not like... Well, it's not clear that, again, this article is not good because the the demo video is 640 by 360, but it doesn't really say what the sensor is. Okay. So. Well, we can figure out the theoretical limit here with a little bit of math because it's 35 millimeter full-frame sensor and they're doing 19 microns. All right. How good are you at micron to millimeter? (laughs) I, I, luckily, I know this guy named Wolfram. (laughs) Stephen Wolfram? I don't know his first name, but we go way back. Uh, Yeah, okay, whatever. It's, nonetheless, I could see this being big in... Everything? um, Well... I mean, if you if it has to, if it has to be a trade off between, I mean, it sounds like either you end up with needing like seventy five millimeter lenses, or at some point you have to make the trade off between. I don't, I don't think so. And photosite sensitivity. 
I think, again, it'd be really nice to have a better article on this uh, or better press release. Um, I think what they've done is just figured out because if you want, you know, if you were to look at a CMOS sensor under a microscope, um, the actual photo site isn't the bulk of the space on the sensor. It's because of the way CMOS works. True. You have lots of other stuff that each photo site has to, that reads each photo site. Um, and I think what they've done is figured out ways to move that all either behind or, or elsewhere. And so that they can expand the size of the photo site. Yeah, well, that would be cool if that was the case. So I think the idea is that they're able to pack. They're, they're using the same number of photosites for this 35-millimeter sensor as they would in one of their other sensors. They're just much larger. But, I, again, I, it's very unclear from the article. Um, so hopefully, Well, that is something they should just ship then. Yeah. It'd be nice if uh, if they did an actual paper on this or something. Um, but Yeah, I would like that. Oh, well. Um, what about this other story from uh, Petapixel on a Panasonic sensor that does 3D without a special lens? Yeah, so that seems kind of neat. It sounds like they're basically putting some sort of um, – my understanding is they put two diffraction-y things on it. No, maybe not. I don't know how they do it. They're just basic. Uh, so I guess the idea is like the the things coming in from the lens, the like rays of light, the photons, are either coming from the left or the right based on which eye they're in. This is a yeah. I mean, the the idea is that they're able to sort of capture. 3D through one lens. Right. From the left side of the lens and the right side of the lens, essentially. Um, and so, yeah, they have... So, so it sounds like it's kind of like the... Um, what's the system called? The lenticular? Yeah, exactly. So they have Where one. they can basically figure out, from some, at least to some level of accuracy, which direction the, the photon is traveling, not just where it hit. Right. So, yeah, they have a lenticular filter in front of the color filter, and then they have separate photosites for the left and the right eye in the Bayer pattern. Right. So, like, if... Hmm. So there's, for a, for a single, like, Bayer photosite, like Amalgam, they've got both left and right photosites. Right. And then they have some sort of filter in front of each of them. Well, so it limits the direction the light can come in from. Right. So they still have, they have the color filter still for the Bayer. And then in front of that, they have the lenticular beam splitter. Um, right. Yeah. Huh. So it's it's clever. I mean, they acknowledge in the article um, that interocular distance is an issue, um, and so as, you know you you don't get a great three D effect for objects that are particularly distant from the lens. I mean, that's an issue in general, but um, you know, yeah. I mean, if you're shooting through a single lens, that uh, you wouldn't be able to get it more than like, say, the front aperture of the 
the lens, I would think. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, they say anything more than a meter, um, isn't particularly, uh, 3d. 3D. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, this is an issue to a lesser extent, even with things like the, the various 3d camcorders on the market with, with two fixed lenses, just, you know, right. Anytime you have the fixed lenses, you're right. If you you can't fix interactions too much, yeah. adjust things. So, you know, it's a clever tech. This is the kind of thing that you will, I guarantee see in cell phones and in mm-hmm. consumer cameras, this is not something you would use for quote unquote real 3d. Um, but if you, your cell phone could shoot, you know, if you could take a quick 3d picture of an object that was right in front of your cell phone, that's kind of cool. Ooh, I could see that. Um, you know, yeah. I no. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if this ever hits the market. Um, and it could be interesting as well for different types of interactivity. Like, you know, if this was built into your webcam on your laptop, um, you know, could potentially be used to judge your distance from the computer or who knows. Yeah, I could see all that. And yeah, so it seems like it's going to be in the small form factor, like lens attached to CCD sort of. Yeah, exactly. Things. Just another thing that gets sandwiched into that package. Um, you know. You know, you're obviously cutting your resolution by half for either a given eye, um, but right. I don't know. Mm. Seems okay. Yeah, I think we're to the point now where we have too many pixels, anyways. Well, and you know, again, presumably, especially for cell phones and stuff. If you if you really wanted, I imagine you could uh, post process one of these images and recover resolution. Don't you think? Probably. I mean, again, if you really needed to, you know, yeah. especially if object, you know, if like if you shot the shot a landscape where there's essentially no differentiation between left and right, you could basically use it for oversampling and. Could you? I don't know. I don't know either. Because the beam splitter is going to basically make that one photo say. I mean, you'll get you can get more dynamic range. Yeah. I'm not sure you could get more resolution. Yeah, perhaps. It would depend on how that beam splitter worked. But yeah, huh. it'd be in, it'd be interesting to run. Um, yeah, in a in a high dynamic range, you know, this sensor design would be really well suited to that. That you could just uh, you know change your if the sensor is controllable in this way, change your readout on the left versus the right photo site. Um, in a non 3d mode and, and use it for, you know, leave the left exposed longer than the right or vice yeah. versa. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Again, an interesting example of a sensor that's doing more than just packing pixels in. Yeah. So we haven't really talked about this big story that broke last week, two weeks ago, um, where Marissa Mayer at Yahoo said no more work from home. And other corporations, yeah. Best Buy and others, have jumped on board now, sort of seeing uh, Yahoo as, as an opportunity for cover to uh, make the same. So, wait, Best Buy did it too? Yeah. Yeah, and a few others I've seen. Don't you remember all the, like, fancy-schmancy, like, back-patent articles out of Best Buy years ago? Well, yeah. That, where, like, you could, like, go ice, you could, like, go ice fishing in the middle of the day if you wanted? And other various Minnesotan things. I don't. Wait, wait, wait. 
that part. But um, yeah, so Yahoo. Had, I mean, you could work like any hours you wanted. They were like so. Well, I mean, yeah, huh. you know, Best Buy is obviously not in a great situation, and so. But this, yeah, no, this, they haven't proved that concept. <laughs> right. And, well, and this sort of brings me around to, like, I'm just really curious to have a conversation with you because we both had office jobs and we both have had work from home jobs. And um, I never really had an office job. Well, you work, I mean, you worked at Oxygen, like in an office. Yeah. Yeah, it was in an office, yes, I guess. I did not work from home. That is true. Right. I mean, the the Yahoo case, I think, is I, – I, I feel like a lot of the coverage has been really misdirected because it's been a conversation about whether working from home is okay and, and all of that. Um, and so I kind of wanted to jump in and talk a little bit about our experiences there. But I think the Yahoo decision is really very specific to Yahoo, which is it's a floundering company that needs a stronger corporate culture um, and – having everyone on site makes some sense. And it's also by forcing people to either come in or not work there anymore. It's a very convenient way to reduce headcount without having to lay people off, uh, which I, right. I think is also part of it. Although people say that there aren't that many folks impacted by it. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if what the actual number ends up looking like, but, but regardless, it feels like the Yahoo decision and, and whether it works or not, it feels like it really is mostly about the fact that they need they need change, and whether this is a good change or a bad change, it is at least change. It's at least a change. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, what's your what's your take on work from home? I mean, I don't know. I I like it. I mean, there's a reason why I don't work for someone else, and part of it is that. Um. But I'm not sure. Like it, I don't. There's just not that much. I don't really have a strong opinion about it. Hmm. Yeah. Do you? I, I, you know, not profoundly. I mean, I've had obviously office jobs, and and now I work from home. Um, and there's pros and cons, and they're I mean, yeah, they're about you know the interpersonal stuff, and and all of that. But I think in terms of, I've been very productive in offices. I've been very productive at home. I've slacked off in offices and I've slacked off at home. Like, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's changes much for the company. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's all about whether you're working on something you're really excited about and, you know, are, you know, really, I mean, putting yourself into it or not. And I don't, yeah. I mean, there's definitely been, there have, there have been times in my office career where, you know, I had really dynamic office mates and we were all working together on a really cool project. And that definitely made me like eager to get in every day and really work hard and, you know, probably work, you know, rapidly. And, and there is something to be said for that, that can't be replicated by video chat or anything else being able to, you know, just jump up to the whiteboard and sketch something out or whatever. Like, but that's such a like tiny, tiny proportion of the time. And the rest of the time it's, Oh God, I don't want to have to deal with traffic. And I come in and I'm, you know, sort of in, you know, drained from the commute and whatever, like the company benefits from those really great days and it suffers from all of the days in which, it's obnoxious to have to go to the office. So I don't know. Yeah. 
Um, mm. Yeah, it's it's just been interesting to watch the conversation because people have, you know, people have taken it to be a indictment of the entire notion of work from home, which, and I don't know that Marissa would even say that she feels that way, but I think it's mostly a recognition that just Yahoo is uh, really in need of being shaken up, and this is definitely shaking it up. Yeah, I mean... And there is lots of BS involved in this whole thing because she's a woman and she has a baby and all this other crap. Right, right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, let's let's try it. All right. Let's, let's implement this for six okay. months. Well, I mean, I, you know. Yeah. I'll get you a plane ticket. Okay. Start putting your dog in storage. Every day? No, like put him in storage once. Oh, I thought you meant you were just like, going to pay for me to commute every day. No, I'm going to just make you move out here or quit. Okay. I hear it's a good way to reduce headcounts. Okay. I mean, you could just ask me to quit and save on the plane ticket. That's so aggressive, though. Um. Yeah, I mean, I do wonder, like, if I lived out there, do you think we would both go into the office every day? Yeah. I guess, yeah. I go into the office every day. Yeah. At this point. Yeah. Hmm. Think how dynamic our podcast would be. Um, I'll bet that alone would, would pay for everything. Think of all the sales that would come from it. Okay. Yeah. People would be like, listen to this podcast. And we'd be like number one on iTunes. And then that- and then people would just start buying it just as like a like button. We'd just put a little like donate button on it. And then we'd make all of our money advertising like Ultrascope. On our podcast. In the middle. Yeah, in the middle of the podcast. That'd be nice. Let's do that. Uh, did you know that Squish- We should get one of those. Oh, yeah, Squarespace. Uh, Squarespace allows you to create a high-quality website, blogger portfolio. Hmm. Don't give it away. Yeah. Did uh, your mother ever teach you that? I could do Audible as yeah. well. It's the Internet's leading provider of spoken audio entertainment. Mm-hmm. I can do all the pitches. That's great. It's, it's skills like this, man. Keep me employed. It's true. Google, self-driving cars. Did you read this article? Um, yes, because you put it in the notes for today. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so let's dive in and talk about the nitty-gritty. Um, in paragraph four, uh, <laughs> um, so this was a, actually a... You notice the same spell here as me in four? Uh, well, actually, I think they're just using the European... Uh, Anyways, um, no, this was a crazy article because basically Google self-driving cars have been on the roads for a while and they're by all accounts pretty amazing. But this started, this article talked about some of the roadblocks they're facing, some of the technology, technological limitations they're hitting. And they were the kind of things that I hadn't really contemplated. Um, and they made me really question sort of whether this self-driving car thing is this like, you know, 90 10 
I don't know what, what's the analogy for a problem, but like they've gotten almost all the way there, but that last little bit may be impossible or, or not realistically achievable given our current technology. Um, the, the point in particular was number three, right? Um, having the cars understand what a traffic drop traffic cop is directing you to do like, okay. So here's where, yeah, this article I thought was total crap. Because also no senior citizen and most people get confused by traffic cops. Yeah. And also every person leaving a concert venue drunk doesn't understand what the traffic cops are telling you to do either. Like you just go the wrong way. Yeah. And then you keep going. But the problem, (laughs) yeah, that, that problem there is just, you know, then you're, you're choosing to program the car to do something illegal or, you you know, like you're creating these special cases wherein the car breaks the rules that it is designed to follow. Um, It's the same with number one, you know, detecting lane markers when there's snow on the road. You know, we all sort of fake it and, you know, four lane roads become three lane roads, become two lane roads in a bad snowstorm in Minnesota. But teaching the software that that's okay to do in these certain cases start to become this whole different, you know, I, I feel like a whole different level of complexity in terms of the problem they're solving. I suppose so. Um, but I mean, what does it do? I, these are the kind of things that can sort of like the cool thing about how they do artificial intelligence now is they don't program rules for the most part. And so these things, you get a, you know, like even in the little bit of, you know, intelligence we built in our little self-driving car, like you get these like emergent rules where the thing seems to have a personality of some type. Um, and, you know, I, I think we have, I mean, there are, there should be certain rules, which is like, if you see something in front of the car, don't continue driving through it. Um, and beyond that, like people aren't very good at driving. We tend to forget that. Yeah. I mean, that's a fair counterpoint. Yeah. Like, yes, some of these cars are going to stop in the middle of the road because they don't know what they're doing, but people do that all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, and like, yes, there are going to be lots of fender benders, but that happens all the time too. Like at some point we're going to have to figure out who's at fault. Yeah. That's a huge issue. Uh, but you know, let's just send all the traffic tickets to Google. They'll pay them, <laughs> and then they'll just put ads on the side of all the cars. It seems like it's a workable solution to me. Yeah, I mean, you know, in the short term, the, the, no one's talking about you know taking the driver out of the driver's seat entirely, and the self-driving cars are designed so that the person can override them. But um, right, yeah, it'll be. Um, I don't know. It was just, it was an article because the self-driving cars seem, you know, so remarkable. It, it was interesting to start thinking about some of these other types of situations they have to deal with that we don't really give second thought to when we're driving. Right. Um, Yeah. I mean, they would have to suck a lot in order to kill more people than we do. Absolutely. Driving cars. Yeah. No. And that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah, you know. You know, like, I mean, so 
so we make every um, traffic like DOT and traffic cop division by like mobile traffic lights. Yeah. You know, just like a thing you move on to the middle. That's like one of those like punching bag guys, except that it's, you know, with sand ballast at the bottom, but instead of having a dude's head at the top, it's got a traffic signal. Sure. Or we just, you know, standardize hand gestures and, uh, you know, yeah. Just have the car stop and make the person drive it for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you, you've seen these running around or no? They are around. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not just Google at this point. Uh, There's a bunch of different fleets out there now. Um, are there? Yeah. I mean, I know like Lexus and a couple other people have. Yeah. And Volvo and, and, uh. I feel like in Arizona, where they've got the most liberal laws, I think there are a number of manufacturers running fleets of these self-driving cars. Sure. Because um, Volvo's been, in terms of the mainstream manufacturers, I think pushing the most of this technology into actual shipping models with their um, pedestrian avoidance and now bicyclist avoidance and um, other sorts of you know um, auto stop in 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 case of city traffic and. Yeah, like backseat uh, driving, basically. Right, yeah. Um, which is obviously the place that this sort of technology starts is assisting right. in those, those crisis situations. And then um, but, and then they've got, um, you know, laser-guided laser cruise control with uh, um, that automatically follows the lane, lane as well. Yeah. tracking you. Yeah. I mean, what'll be interesting, the, the thing, yeah, there's, gonna, there's lots of legal stuff that's going to need to get hammered out. Luckily, we have plenty of willing lawyers to do that. I mean, it's going to, you know, you think the one where, like, the car stops in the middle of the road and gets you rendered is bad. Like, wait till the first time someone swears that they were going to not get in that crash, but the car took over. Right. You know, like, I totally would have avoided that person if the car hadn't, you know, decided to dodge it. different way than i would have you know that's where it's going to get because people swear up and down that they're good drivers i mean look at all the like you know dozens of people who swear their toyota just took off and hit things when really it was them right yeah i mean i think a lot of those just the you know pedestrian avoidance systems and whatnot are the threshold they set is once you've passed the point at which like a human could you could press the brake pedal fast enough then they can kick in but um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's good stuff. We should just get trains. Yeah. God, that seems like an easier solution. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big car person, but I'm a big car person, not because I like to commute. Um, you know, yeah. there, yeah. Yeah, working from home solves this problem, though. Yeah. Um, so editors, video editors, two different stories in different directions in our list today. Um, Lightworks okay. is coming to the Mac. Mm-hmm. Do you know the history of Lightworks? Could you summarize it or no? I can... A bit of it. So Lightworks has been around forever. Yeah. 
it was around before Avid. It was the first, like, nonlinear editor. Um, and it was crazy expensive. And I don't know the middle history much. I know it kind of lost Yeah, it ended up with, Avid. with Tektronix. I think so. Who, who owned it? Oh, no, G Broadcasts. And then right. got bought I mean, by EditShare. Right. So, and then EditShare bought them when they basically weren't. Oh no! It was sold by sold to Tektronix in '94. Okay. Okay. Um, but now it's owned by EditShare, and EditShare has open sourced it, which seemed at the time like a strange sort of business purchase, um, and it may still be. Um, but nowadays you can use it for free or buy it for $60 a year. Right. And get some pro features and codecs and things. Right. And it's just kind of like another editor, except it seems to be very poorly designed to sit on a monitor without wasting space. Yeah. It's very ugly, but it's a... It's a real editor. But it's always been. People yeah. who love it have always loved it and probably could not get it beaten out of them, right. their love for it. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a real editor in the way that none of the other open source programs have ever really been real editors, even, you know, 15 years on or, you know. Um, yeah, I guess so, yeah. It has color correction functionality. It has all of the sort of keyframing and everything you'd want. It has proper media support. It has stereoscopic support and multicam. And, um, you know, in a lot of ways, the timeline is very much, I guess, probably most reminiscent of an Avid timeline. Um, but, you know, very similar yeah. to any of the old school editors. Final. Cutters. I would say, what's it called? Um, Media 100. Media 100. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's got some of that going on as well. But they don't, do they still do the AB? I know originally they were like an AB role. God, it's been 10 years since I've seen Media 100. I don't know. Um, But no, it's, I mean, it's the kind of interface that, you know, if you spent a career working in any of those family of editors, you'll be able to figure it out for the most part. Um, So it's coming to the Mac. Mm -hmm. Do you think that matters? I mean, is, is price an issue in editing software at this point? Wait, why is price an issue with whether it's on the Mac or not? Well, I, I mean, coming to the Mac, I guess. Do you think that? Uh, do you think that this? Or do you think they're going to cannibalize the market because they're so cheap? Right, like you know, it's coming to the, the Mac. Price. Do you think that it will draw people away from the other plot? You know, editors that are on the Mac, um, or you know. My assumption is no, but maybe. I mean, I never really thought of that as a possibility. I don't know. I mean, who's this for otherwise? Like, why go to the trouble I, of bringing it to the Mac? I think it's for edit share. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. I think they're doing this because they want to have a soup to... I mean, they're basically trying to build out a drop-in replacement for Avid's news cutter sure. by the time Avid stops being in business. That's kind of my read on this. And I think that's... They need an editor for that. Yeah. And that's why they, I mean, that's obviously why they bought it. And it makes all the sense in the world. Like, yeah. 
mean, there's a lot of money there, and there's not a lot of competition. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, that's all I can think of. What do you think? Yeah, I, I totally agree, I and mean, it makes a ton of sense. I just sort of wonder why they're bothering with the open source. I mean, even if it's a relatively easy thing for them to continue to support, I just don't know why you, like, what the point is. What, the open source part? Yeah, the free open source part. Like, you know, make it free for anyone who has an edit share license. But why Why can, you know, I just wonder what they get back from having this out there. And um, having the source code out there or the free version? Having the free version out there. Well, I don't think they get anything out of that. But I think, you know, it's it was going to happen either way. If there was an op if it's open source... Sure. Someone was going to build it and release a binary. You'd rather have them going to your site where they can see they can pay 60 bucks a year. Yeah, that makes sense. Then, but that, I mean, but there's no other real reason, I don't think. Yeah, it's just, yeah. I mean, it's not an advertisement. It's not like someone's like, oh, I have zero dollars to spend on an editor. Oh, look, they also sell playout servers. Right. You know, you're not getting a captive audience here. Right. I think it's just, I don't know. And I mean, you know, the bulk of the features that are interesting are in the paid version. So if you get the free version, you're really not getting any more functionality than you get with iMovie um, that came free with your Mac or, or, you know, there's just so many good cheap options. Even if you're, you know, want to move up to Final Cut X or Premiere, you're not going to spend the kind of money you used to have to spend. Like I, I just, in my mind at least, and maybe this is just, you know, my own biases like when it came to paying $1,300 for Final Cut Studio I would consider alternatives but in the pricing that editors are at nowadays it just price is not a driving factor yeah you've gotten older though too that, well mean, that's what I'm saying there's a possibility that like kids care still yeah. like college kids still care about money but don't they just steal the software anyways some of it but it's like impossible to steal avid so i don't know yeah i mean maybe they're stealing premiere is can you still steal premiere i don't know i mean ever since they went cloud-based it just seemed i don't know more trouble yeah. than it's worth even yeah, for personal bucks a month is a lot of money for someone but for students it's less than that and i don't know yeah, I don't know. yeah it'll be it'll be interesting to see if this makes a dent at all in any spaces um you know it's always nice to have more options and um you know good on them for sticking with it my my theory is it's going to eat avid's lunch on news yeah well yeah, there's some things it doesn't have though i mean maybe that's why they open sourced it is because they're hoping that like emps will integrate with it and crap like that because that's what they need in order to take news sure Well, speaking of Avid's lunch, how much is left on that plate? God, that was horrible. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm getting better at these. <laughs> I think insofar as better means worse, yes. I think <laughs> we both agree that you are being more segway <laughs> Um. So Avid, they... They're not doing well. No. And I can only assume it's because they don't sell suites of software that include, you know, scopes and 
Yeah, scopes slash capture tools. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I mean, so they're, I mean, they basically, they sat around too long and now they're, they can't play catch up fast enough. Well, and they tried to play catch up by buying a bunch of companies for hundreds of millions of dollars and have now sold off all of those companies for, you know, ones of billions hundreds of dollars. Of dollars. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One, and, um, you know, drained a lot of their sort of engineering resources and other things on some of these projects that went nowhere or that they've now taken a loss on. Um, and now the, you know, last week they indefinitely delayed release of their 2012 earnings because okay, of, so is that a thing you can do? You guess Tesla did it too. Yeah. Um, it's odd and I don't know that there's any larger sort of financial industry reasoning behind, um, multiple companies doing it like this. Like it may just be coincidence, but I sort of wondered the same thing. Like, is this a new thing? But I mean, so if you don't report your earnings, I guess it's fine because you're not reporting them to anyone. Right. And they're, they're not saying we're not going to, to report it. They're just saying they need more time to figure out what the hell is going on because they found some sort of issue. Right. Um, the SEC's now launched an investigation as well, I think. Um, because but. it feels like if you don't report your earnings, you are tampering with the stock price. Yeah. Either, you know, either it's obviously going to go down because you didn't report them and B, you're probably not reporting them because, yeah, I don't know, maybe it's okay. I mean, as long, I guess the big problem is you just want everyone on a level playing field. That's all the SEC cares about. Yeah. As long as you don't tell some people what your earnings are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're... So who's going to buy them? That's the question. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard to know now. Um, and I wonder, yeah, you know, at some point companies become so tainted that no one will buy them, even if they have some good assets. Um, I don't think Avid's there yet, but. Yeah. I mean, Avid still has the installed base and they still have the brand. Like you could scrap everything else. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, I would assume that whoever buys X. them won't be, it won't be Apple. It won't be Adobe. It'll be. I'm know, guessing it won't be video people. Maybe it will. Yeah, I mean, I could, you know, potentially a private equity firm, but I also could see a um, Tektronix or who, what's, the, what's the group that owns everyone? Uh, Vitek. Oh, um, yeah. You know, someone like them. I don't know. Okay, I got it for you. Boris. Who owns Boris? Uh, That's a blanket. That's a parent company now, too. I don't it's just a, not a very big one. But yeah, put those two together. <laughs> no, it's Boris. Boris owns all of them, right? They own Media 100. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, Media 100 and Avid together last. It'll be interesting. I mean, do you think Avid will last out the year? Like, how dire? Yeah. They might have to, don't they? I think it's... I mean, what happens if they go away? Why I, well, I just, I guess, at what do you think they'll last out the year as an independent company? Eh, that maybe not. But they, I mean, they have to. I just can't imagine. 
they make I mean they may not make money, but there is money coming in. Like I don't know. Hmm. I mean they're publicly traded, that's where it gets weird because making money isn't enough. Right. For those jackals. Um I don't know. Well, it'll be interesting to watch. Um, and, you know, obviously it's just an industry in general that the number, you know, the market for Avid just doesn't seem like it's going to grow, right? I mean, it could have. Right. How many, people said, how many people threatened to switch to Avid like a year ago when Final Cut X came out? Like, but, you know, they didn't capitalize it and Adobe did. I know. Yeah. And a lot of people moved to Premiere. Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting is um, I was at that event at Z Systems um, last week, two weeks ago, last week, and mm-hmm. met a couple of people cutting on Final Cut X happily, which is interesting. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, people, it's not. It's perfectly fine as long as you don't care what the internet thinks about it. Yeah. I've enjoyed it as well. It a bit, you know. Um, and you don't need a gradient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, yeah, no, there's lots of more people are using Final Cut X than are using Avid by far. Oh, absolutely. I would guess by an order of magnitude. Yeah. Um, maybe two. Um, but yeah, it's just, I don't know, like, what is, so, I mean, Pro Tools can't die. Someone has to buy Pro Tools. Right. Yeah. That's, that's that's a given. That's a working business. Yeah. But Uh, it's, you know, it seems like Avid, I, I do wonder whether in terms of scale, you know, Avid was a company built on selling a relatively small number of very high priced things, whether they were symphonies or, you know, unity sands or, you know, a lot of hardware and a lot of very expensive software contracts. Yeah. And support contracts. And so they supported a pretty large company with a relative, you know, comparatively small number of users. Um, you know, the, the need for most of that specialized hardware has gone away. They've belatedly had to acknowledge that by adding support for things like Kona cards. Um, Mm -hmm. and so you just wonder whether an independent company, you know, obviously they're publicly traded, but a small company that doesn't do other stuff, um, you know, can actually survive even if it's a sort of well-run company. Um, just if the resources required to make the, a software in the space they're in exceed the amount of revenue you can generate making that software on its own. Yeah. I don't know. It may Yeah, I'm not sure either. Um, but something's not right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, you want to do chatter? I suppose so. Yeah, we're out of stuff to talk about. Yeah. Um, mine is a YouTube video that someone linked me to, which is the first good example I've ever seen of augmented reality. Yeah. It is amazing. It is a pool table that tells you how to play pool. This is pretty, um, pretty remarkable. 
So basically, they took a pool table, they stuck a um, projector above it, and probably a webcam or two, and that is enough for them to like write some software where it knows where the cue ball is, it can see your pool stick, and it can like tell you where the ball is going to go based on where you're holding the stick at the moment. It's it's awesome. Yeah, check it out. Yes, it's it's. it's I want one of these. I want one very badly. I gather there was some version of this, or a, you can have a pool room. You shouldn't build one of these. There was some project like this, or maybe this project being shown at South by Southwest this week. I saw some video of people playing with it. Um, mm. But yeah, and it's just so cool because we've all thought the same thing, right? And like. You, there, you know, there used to be games on on the PC or the Mac, like virtual pool games that would have a. It was mode just the PC, yeah. Where you could show this, and right. to have it in real life with actual pool balls would just—I mean, this could be a really great tool in way you know, to learn pool. Well, but also just in like science classes, you know, or in you know, sort of twelve education, yeah, to start to learn about the way that these forces interact with each other and and angles and yeah i mean it's just really cool yeah let's build one yeah i would i would totally be down for that um i wonder the only thing i wondered was if you could do it the opposite way like if you could just drill thousands of tiny little holes in the table and put fiber optic through them and get enough of a display that way yeah, why not? And then the only problem is sensing everything. It's easy to sense where the balls are. It's harder to sense where the cue is or where the stick is. Right. You, know, you still need a camera. Yeah, well, you could just also make a pool table out of like a 80-inch uh, plasma or something. Covered in felt? Well. Covered in transparent felt? Yeah. I wonder if they can do that. Oh, of course they can. They can make transparent aluminum. Um, I don't think they've figured that out yet. Oh. They're still working on that. That Mac Plus is still chugging away. Huh. Well, everyone remember where we parked. Um, mm. that's from Star Trek. Yeah. yeah, it all was. Yeah. We were there. We were together. It was nice. I enjoyed being there with you. Um, my chatter this week is another video, but mine's on Vimeo. So obviously, you know, it's classier. Um, it's an artist who takes a bunch of like wood laminate and has screws in it and then attaches high voltage to it and then films it as the wood basically burns the electrical patterns. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it's pretty interesting to watch and you can see sort of like the way, you know, you can see the sort of slow motion lightning, but you can also see sort of gravity having an effect on this. And, um, it's pretty fascinating. I bet they smell. I wouldn't, otherwise I'd want one in my apartment. They'd have to like shellac it really well. Yeah. That means your whole apartment would smell like campfire. It's interesting too how slow it goes. Um, at first, I, when I saw the link, I thought this was going to be a slow motion thing, but it's actually a time lapse thing. Um, oh, the burning is slow. Yeah. The, okay. Whoa, these are bigger than I thought. Yeah, yeah, it's big and it's slow. 
That's what she's done. Whoa. What the? Oh, she gets it wet. I get it. Man, there's so many double entendres here. Um, anyway, yeah, it's a really cool project. It's the sort of thing that um, I would enjoy seeing in real life at some point. Um, but in lieu of that, I will watch it on Vimeo. And um, one last thing. Yeah. Is it, so we've talked about this in the past, but we should talk about it here. Why are these all these sharing services getting so bad at playing video? I I don't know, right? We've both experienced this, right? This is not a me yeah. thing. And it comes in waves, I'm though. a Luddite. I'm a Luddite, and I tend to not, I don't know, wait for things to work like I should. But you agree that playing back video on these hosted sites seems to not work most of the it time. Really or varies. a large like, portion of the time. Yeah, there will be like whole weeks where I cannot consistently watch a YouTube video. Like even a small YouTube video will constantly buffer and it's not a bandwidth to my house thing because I can pull down, you know, two megabytes a second from anywhere else. And so right. I don't know if it's to you know their C D N just, you know, either something about their C D N or about the way in which they bought bandwidth that they get deprioritized or what. But it does seem to vary from site to site and time to time, but it is yeah. But it seems to affect all of the sites from time to time. Yes. I have noticed this as well. Yeah. And it's crazy. Like you would think these are like at the point at which your browser is playing back a video, there's nothing special about what's going on. It's bringing bits down from a server somewhere. Like there's no sort of processing going on or anything. I mean, maybe flash. Maybe it's because all these things have like so many layers of fallback now. I don't think so. I mean, because I've seen it with HTML5 videos as well on on YouTube and, um, I don't know what the explanation is, but I've often wondered. Um, we should make a hosted site that just puts everything up in phosphor or an animated GIF. You upload your thing and it just makes a giant billion meg animated GIF. Those always play. Yeah. And this never caused memory issues or. It could be called like heater or something like noisyfan.com. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, if anyone out there works for YouTube and can explain, or if you work for Vimeo, call me cause I'm getting pissed. What are you pissed about? Oh, I'm trying to give away f- cheap copies of all of our software to Vimeo pro users and no one from Vimeo will write me back. I want to join the biz, like the pro account thingy. Huh? Well, Somebody write me back. Okay. Or if you're a Vimeo member, bug them. Mike at divergentmedia.com. Right. Or bug Vimeo and tell them to email me. Okay. We'll talk to you. We should start a revolution. Okay. But first, I'm going to go eat dinner. It's better. Revolutions work better. (laughs) I think that was a quote from Che. I don't think it actually was. (laughs) Okay. But you could put it on a t-shirt, and it would be almost the same as a quote from Che. Um, Yeah. Bye. Okay. Bye.